I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Welcome to Healthy Matters, presented by Hennepin Healthcare, a network of neighborhood clinics, specialty centers, hospital, and Minnesota's level one adult and pediatric trauma center. Please remember, we can only give general medical advice during the program, and every case is unique. We urge you to consult with your personal physician if you have health concerns. Now, here's Denny Law with your host, Dr. David Hilden, internal medicine physician with Hennepin Healthcare, with more Healthy Matters. Dr. Hilden off today, but we'll be back. He'll return one week from today. In the meantime, Denny Long here introducing, well, a guest who's been with us before, and we're going to be talking about sleep, getting your questions either by phone or by text. Uh, sleep disorders. Dr. Renji Varghese is back with us. Good to see you again, doctor. Good morning, Danny. Yes, you Glad got to be here. Get some good rest last night, did I you? I did, I did. Oh, okay, good. <laughs> nice, nice to have you back in here. Big topic, uh, and I know we're going to be getting a lot of text messages and a lot of phone calls as well. But let's uh, let's talk a little bit about you before we talk about the uh, the, the great place at uh, Hennepin that I was lucky to, to find about 18 years ago. Uh, get, tell us about yourself, your background. Sure, I... Uh, Went to medical school in California, and then I came down to Minnesota to train at the Mayo Clinic. After Mayo, I came to Minneapolis and, and joined uh, the team, the wonderful team here at HCMC. We've got just a, just wonderful, talented doctors from all different types of specialties that are board certified in sleep medicine, nurses and office staff. And uh, wanted to let you know, Denny, that this year will mark 40 years of, of the sleep center. I find that hard to believe. It's it's amazing. It's one of the oldest and, and first established uh, sleep centers in the country. I've mentioned it before, and you know that, and I, full disclosure, that I was diagnosed there with a obstructive sleep apnea um, 18, over 18 years ago. Yeah. And uh, what a place. And we, we, let's talk a little bit about that, about what, um, what, what, what that whole st- st- center is about. What do you sure. do there if, if, if you're having, whether it be restless leg or a sleep apnea, what, what do people do? How do we get there? Well, you can talk to your primary care physician if you have any sort of a sleep disorder, whether it's not being able to get to sleep or feeling way too sleepy during the daytime. We even treat people that have restless legs or, or movement disorders that might make it difficult to fall asleep or might wake you up. We also treat very unique uh, sleep disorders like sleepwalking or dream sleep behaviors. Tell us some stories about that, if you will, because I mentioned it earlier this morning, but some amazing stories. Yeah, so, you know, in the mid-1980s, HCMC, a a couple of doctors, uh, Dr. Mahowald and Dr. Shank, saw some individuals that were dreaming, and while they were in dream sleep, they were also acting out their dreams. It was really unusual because we're not really supposed to do that. We're supposed to be paralyzed when yeah. we're dreaming. And so they thought this was unusual. So they sort of followed these patients along. And lo and behold, these people that were acting out their dreams sometimes violently developed some uh, neurodegenerative disorders, including Parkinson's disorder. So we, we've now uh, identified that this disorder, which was discovered at HCMC in the mid-1980s, it's called REM sleep behavior disorder, 
is the very early precursor to Parkinson's and, and other neurodegenerative Oh, disorders. interesting. Mm-hmm. But you mentioned uh, a, a big name that, uh, that th- ended up with this. Yeah. Well, actually, yeah, on August 1st, uh, Alan Alda, the beloved Alan Alda, was diagnosed with Parkinson's a couple years ago. But prior to his diagnosis, uh, he was having very unusual dreams, and some of these dreams were violent. Uh, he, he, had, he, he dreamt that he threw a sack of potatoes when, in fact, what he was doing is he was throwing a pillow at his wife. So he did a little research on the Internet and found that there was an unusual disorder called REM sleep behavior disorder, and that could be the early precursor, even years before the onset of Parkinson's. So he went to his doctor, and eventually he was diagnosed with Parkinson's. Wow, very interesting. Yeah. Now, when a, a patient uh, comes in, uh, to uh, get a study done. Some folks have said, ah, you're hooked up with all these wires and I can never sleep. In fact, I think I, I had a similar experience and I had, it was Dr. Mahal that was there when I, yeah. uh, and I said, I'm sorry, I don't think I slept at all. He goes, oh, yes, you did. <laughs> Does that kind of typical people think they don't sleep and indeed they do? Absolutely. I mean, yes, we do put wires on the brain to look at the brain activity, a couple of other sensors on the body. But for the most part, people are sleepy, and they will fall asleep, and we can look at their brain waves when they're asleep. Additionally, we might be able to provide them a medication prior to bedtime to help them fall asleep, which wouldn't interfere with the actual sleep study. I want to give the phone numbers, doctor, the phone number and text number. If you have a sleep question for the doctor, 651-989-9226. We've cleared the line, so they're ready for you, 651-989-9226. Or if it's easier... Send us a text at 81807, 81807. You know, I guess the sleep apnea is, is an obvious one. In fact, uh, I was looking at a text, if I can find it. But there's more, more than uh, issues than just sleep apnea. I mean, well, insomnia, what is it? I know what it is, but if you can give a more medical explanation, what the heck is insomnia anyway? Yeah, insomnia is, is, one of, is the most common sleep disorder in the United States. Um, in fact, 40 million people in the United States suffer from some sort of insomnia. There are different types of insomnia. There's acute insomnia. There's what we call comorbid insomnia. Comorbid insomnia is insomnia that might uh, uh, be associated with anxiety or depression or with pain conditions like arthritis. Uh, and acute insomnia is, is, is a condition where if we're unable to sleep, if we experience some stressful experiences, death of a loved one or uh, abrupt change in a person's life. Those usually resolve on their own. But in, acute insomnia can develop into what we call chronic insomnia. So if you're having difficulty falling asleep or staying asleep or waking up early, and that's un, out of uh, that's unusual, and if it happens three nights a week for more than three months at a time, we call this chronic. And uh, chronic insomnia is essentially um, a pattern where we start to associate the bed and the bedroom and have unhealthy associations with the bed and the bedroom, and we become more awake than asleep. Interesting. If you're just joining us on Healthy Matters, again, Dr. Hilden uh, taking the day off uh, today. Dr. Renji Varghese is with us, board certified in sleep medicine and psychiatry. He is the medical director of the Minnesota Regional Sleep Disorder Center at Hennepin Healthcare, and again, we just mentioned it. Hard to believe, 40 years. 40 years. I bet you, you even though you weren't around exactly then, uh, that place has seen some changes. It's seen tremendous changes. I mean, it's a, it's, it's a robust center. We've done some fantastic research. Like I mentioned earlier, the REM sleep behavior disorder 
which was discovered at HCMC, was there. But we've had two past American Academy of Sleep Medicine presidents that uh, that presided at HCMC. So it's just it's pretty just amazing stuff. Place. Yeah, it really is. Yeah, six five one nine eight nine nine two two six. Again, text is eight one eight. I tell you what, let's go to the phones. Sure. We'll, 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 we'll alternate too and get some text messages uh, as well. Pat in Minneapolis is uh, first up here. Pat, you're on with the doctor. Hi, I've been diagnosed with sleep apnea. And the first mask I had just went in my nose and I ripped it off during my sleep. But I'm finding that wearing the CPAP is extremely uncomfortable. and um, it just feels so odd, and I'm not using it, but yet at the same time, I know I need to because if I don't, doesn't it put me at risk for stroke and things? And I wondered if there's anything that you would suggest. Pat, this is a really good uh, question, and it's not uncommon, and you're not alone. Um, you know, obstructive sleep apnea, you're correct. If it's severe enough, significantly increases your chances for heart attack and heart failure and blood pressure problems uh, and stroke. Uh, But luckily, CPAP is not the only treatment that we have. We do have different masks that that you might be able to use. Sometimes it's a matter of increasing the humidity on the machine itself. But sleep apnea is not only treated with sleep disorder or with a CPAP machine. Uh, By the way, a CPAP machine is just a a machine that blows gentle air of stream through the airway to keep the airway open and and prevent it from closing. Um, But we work with dentists at the HCMC Center uh, that will specially uh, procure a a device for the jaw to keep the jaw forward uh, and keep that tongue from collapsing on itself. So that, that might be an option for people that can't otherwise tolerate CPAP. There are also surgical options that uh, that are available, and we really reserve surgery for people that can't tolerate any of the other devices and probably would have uh, major problems if they didn't treat their sleep apnea. Um, I was asked a little bit earlier uh, in the week about a uh, device called the, uh, the an implant for uh, treating sleep apnea, and this is a neurostimulator device that uh, um, gently stimulates the nerve of the tongue while we sleep to to move the tongue forward. And it has a lot of good data. It is effective. And again, it's not for everyone, but it is for some people that can't otherwise tolerate CPAP. So, In fact, doctor, that was the uh, another email that we received about that, uh, that implant. But it, like you said, it's not for everybody. It's not for everyone, uh, but it can treat uh, severe obstructive sleep apnea. And I can tell you a little bit more about it. It's a device that's implanted underneath the chest wall and they guide a wire underneath the neck and uh, attach it to the nerve of the muscle, and it's turned on uh, when we fall asleep. Hmm. Yep. Interesting. I, uh, you know, maybe we could back up a little bit, and uh, we talk about sleep apnea. I knew this was going to be one of the major topics of our uh, discussion today. But what is sleep? Can you talk about surgery? What, what, what causes us? As my my wife said many years ago, do you know you you uh, quit breathing? I said I do not. I want to know if this is typical. If you have a significant other who says, you know, you wake up choking, I say, I do not. It's usually the way we see our patients. Yeah. It's the bed partner that notices, and it's, it's very scary because at its core, sleep apnea is choking when we sleep. Um, but the soft tissue in the back of our throat, the tongue, the muscles in the back of the throat relax when we fall asleep. That's intuitive. But if those muscles and that soft tissue relax a little too much, the airway closes off. 
If the airway closes off, we don't get oxygen to our heart, to our lungs, to our brain and other vital organs, and we choke. And when we choke, the brain says, hey, we don't like this. Let's wake up. And if, that, and if we wake up multiple times throughout the night, we get the symptoms of, of, of sleep apnea. For instance, not feeling awake during the daytime or not feeling like we can concentrate, maybe even some memory difficulties. But the major symptoms that people observe are loud, disruptive snoring, dry mouth upon awakening, uh, feeling unrefreshed when we awake, sometimes morning headache. Tell you what, let's do this. We need to take a quick break, but we have callers, uh, folks on the line. Stay there. We're going to, when we come back, we'll take your phone calls and grab some text messages as well. We're talking about sleep or lack thereof here on this uh, Sunday morning on 830 WC. So 69 degrees. We'll be right back. And good morning. Welcome back to Healthy Matters. We're talking about sleep, sleep disorders with uh, the medical director of the Minnesota Regional Sleep Disorders Center at Hennepin Healthcare, Dr. Renji Varghese. Still hard for me to believe it's 40 years that that great resource uh, has, has been around. Um, we're talking about sleep apnea, but there's so many other issues. In fact, uh, we had a, in fact, you mentioned this uh, topic before, doctor, and I'm going to read this text and maybe we can, then we'll get back to the phone calls. Uh, my mother, texter said, had REM sleep disorder for several years. Now they say she has shy Drager, which maybe you could explain. Could you please talk about REM sleep disorder? Yeah, so like I mentioned earlier, REM sleep behavior disorder was fairly unknown. It was discovered at uh, Hennepin County Medical Center in, in the mid-80s. Uh, and it's a condition where patients act out their dreams. Uh, like I mentioned before, when we dream, when we're in dream sleep or REM sleep, we shouldn't be acting out our dreams. We should be completely silent and, and our muscles paralyzed. But something goes wrong in these patients that have REM sleep behavior disorder. And what happens is the mechanism or the switch in the part of the brain stem or the brain that turns our muscles off when we're in dream sleep is broken. And if it's broken, we start acting out our dreams. So if you can imagine patients that have violent dreams, they may act out their violent dreams. And in fact, that's what we see. People might injure themselves. They might injure their bed partners. They might fall out of bed. And it, it's, we've seen some catastrophic injuries because people have had these, these problems. Now, if, if what we're saying is that there's something wrong with the brain, there's some sort of a, a switch that's broken, it, it suggests that there's a neurodegeneration in the brain, especially in, in this RBD. And so when we follow these patients after they've had their diagnosis of RBD or REM sleep behavior disorder, years, sometimes even 10 to 15 years afterwards, they develop other neurodegenerative problems. And that's because we think RBD or REM sleep behavior disorder is the early biomarker for the development of these disorders later on. These, these disorders include Parkinson's disorder, uh, multiple system atrophy, Lewy body with dementia. So I, I like to say the REM sleep behavior disorder is like the canary in the coal mine. Um, and it's exceedingly important to get this addressed because uh, we don't know if someone's going to injure themselves. And, and uh, one of the other things, we can treat REM sleep behavior disorder. We can, can treat the Yeah, absolutely. We can treat the, the, the violent uh, dreams and, and reduce those behaviors from uh, being catastrophic. Um, we, may, we don't have any way of sort of slowing down the potential uh, for these neurodegenerations, but uh, it's, it's, it's really important to get people in to get this at least evaluated and corrected. 
Uh, and I also want to make sure that we, people know that other things can cause RBD, uh, but what we call idiopathic RBD is a very specific marker for these other uh, neurodegenerative problems. 651-989-9226. Text is 81807. Let's go to the phones, Dr. Jane is calling from Forest Lake. I believe, Jane, thanks for hanging on. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so about five years ago, I was diagnosed with sleep apnea. Um, in the last probably year and a half, I've taken off like 120 pounds. And I'm seeing that I'm not going through hardly any water on my CPAP every night. Um, and I'm wondering, is the only way to find out if I still need that CPAP is by going through another sleep test? Or is there another way to find out? It's it's a really good question. I'm not sure about the specifics of your sleep apnea. If the sleep apnea was, you know, very 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 severe, uh, and that's a that's a that's a big weight loss. Um, uh, usually, uh, that will correct the sleep disorder breathing, but we won't know unless we we won't definitively know unless we did another sleep study. Now, sometimes people just stop their CPAP. They might ask their bed partner if they continue snoring. But if they don't have any symptoms of sleep apnea, snoring, uh, stopping breathing at night, dry mouth in the morning, headaches in the morning, daytime sleepiness, usually a sleep doctor will just say, you know, probably not a, a, neat, a, a good reason to do another sleep study. So depending on your condition, you may or may not have to repeat another sleep study. All right. Thanks, Jane. Mary is calling from Lonsdale uh, with a question. Go ahead, Mary. Good morning. Thank you for taking my call. Mm -hmm. Um, My question is, I have trouble staying asleep. I have no trouble falling asleep, but um, I usually go to bed about 9, 30, 10 o'clock, and then by 1 o'clock or probably that time frame of 1 to 3 a.m., I'm wide awake and I can't fall back to sleep. And I stay in a room that's dark. I've got a sound machine. I've tried the melatonin, and it, I'm finding it's becoming a norm for me. It's happening more often. So, excellent question. Uh, I'm sorry that you're struggling with this, Mary. Uh, you know, Jenny, we talked a little bit about insomnia earlier, and uh, we talked about acute and chronic insomnia. And Mary's uh, situation sounds like it's becoming a chronic problem, and she describes that this is becoming a norm for her. Um, you know, maintenance insomnia is not uncommon. It can be associated with the bedroom environment. It can be associated with untreated sleep disorder breathing. In fact, 30% of people that have resistant insomnia in the middle of the night have untreated sleep disorder breathing. But usually, and I'll just touch on insomnia here, what Mary is describing is when she awakens, she's laying in bed. She's tossing and turning between 1 to 3 in the morning. She might be looking at her clock, getting frustrated. And that frustration might be driving some of that uh, inability to fall asleep because if you're not able to relax because you're frustrated, you're not going to be able to fall asleep. So what I would suggest is, one, you might want to – this is going on for a while. I would say talk to a sleep doctor. And uh, But some healthy just tips that you don't need to have a sleep doctor tell you about is get out of the bedroom. Remove yourself out of the bedroom if after 20 minutes of sleep you're not able to fall asleep because if – over a period of time, we start to develop these very unhealthy associations with the bed and the bedroom where the bed and the bedroom in and of itself begin to create a arousal state. 
So we want to unlearn these unhealthy associations by removing ourselves in the bedroom for about 20, 30 minutes. What do you do? You do, go do, read a book? What do, do you do? Do something relaxing. Yeah, so anything relaxing. Don't do anything that might make your brain think. Uh, I wouldn't watch a, a TV, but just se- separate yourself in the bedroom. When you start to feel sleepy again, return back into the bedroom. If that happens again, you repeat the process until you're able to fall asleep. Are you talking about other things that might interfere? And I know we have to break here in a minute or two. But a texter uh, wanted to know, uh, is it true that light from uh, the computer and cell phone screens interferes with sleep? We've heard about that. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's another good question. So the answer is yes. Um, any sort of light, especially these devices that emit blue light, can suppress a naturally secreting uh, hormone in our, our brain called melatonin. Uh, and um, it's not just the light that is keeping us uh, awake. Uh, it's the fact that we're engaged in these devices before bedtime. It's preventing ourselves from relaxing before bedtime. So it's not just light that's suppressing melatonin, which is important for us to get to sleep. It's the fact that we're using our brains while we're using and we're engaging ourselves. That makes sense. I know we have to break here shortly. We have another half hour of the show to go. If you're just joining us, uh, we're talking about uh, sleep disorders with Dr. Ranji Varghese, who is board certified in sleep medicine and psychiatry. Again, he is the medical director of the Minnesota Regional Sleep Disorders Center at Hennepin Healthcare. And, you know, maybe we should ask that before we head to the break. Huh? And you say if, if you think you have an issue and you want to get tested for whatever reason, uh, you talk to your primary doc first? You can talk to your primary care doctor if you want to. You can call our center as well, and we can. What's the, what's the number? That. The general number is the six nine six three. That's right. All right, we'll mention that uh, as we head through the uh, the rest of the show. Again, we have a line open. If you have a question about uh, sleep disorder, about you or uh, a significant other, six five one nine eight nine nine two two six. The text is eight one eight zero seven. We'll come back with more of both. And a big thank you to everyone who attended the uh, Here for Health session. Uh, yesterday at the new beautiful, and it is beautiful, that new clinic and specialty center. One more session left. There's still time to sign up. Saturday, September 15th, Here for Health will focus on women's health and will feature experts talking about heart health, breast health, physical therapy, things like that. You won't want to miss the final session in the Community Health Series. Just go to hennepinhealthcare.org, Here for Health, and uh, it'll uh, give you more information. Right now, 69 degrees here on CISO. Stay with us for more. Healthy Matters on CCO. Radio.com. Radio.com. And good morning. Welcome to this portion of Healthy Matters. Dr. Hilden taking the day off. He will be back one week from today. Guest host today, if you're just joining us, is Dr. Renji Varghese, who is board certified in sleep medicine and psychiatry. He is the medical director of the Minnesota Regional Sleep Disorders Center at Hennepin Healthcare. And I tell you what, doctor, I'm going to mention this before too, but the sleep center, if you're just joining us, we're still amazed that it's turning 40. What a, what a four, I'm just reading this. I didn't make this up. 40 no. winks for 40 yeah, years. You 40 winks for 40 <laughs> years, established in 1978, one of the earliest uh, organized sleep centers in the country. We're really proud. We're very uh, happy to be part of HCMC. It's an amazing place. Yeah. For more information on the Sleep Center, you can visit hennepinhealthcare.org slash sleep. But if you want to schedule a consultation or an appointment, here's the number, and I'll give this to you before the doctor leaves too. 612-873-6963. That's 612-873-6963. 
I know we have a lot of phone calls. Uh, we have a lot of text messages. One thing, and we'll get to the phones in just a moment, but I know you wanted to, uh, besides sleep apnea, there's a thing called restless leg syndrome. That, In fact, I was just looking at a um, text doctor. Please talk about restless leg syndrome. My wife has it bad. Yeah. So restless leg syndrome, uh, Denny, as we mentioned a little bit earlier, that uh, there's some things that kind of keep us from falling asleep. Restless leg syndrome is one of those things. It's a movement disorder, uh, and it's a disorder that's accompanied by a discomfort, usually in the lower extremities or the legs. It's hard to describe. Some people describe it as bugs underneath the skin or air underneath the skin or a creepy crawly sensation, but it happens mainly at night when we're trying to fall asleep. It's accompanied by an intense urge to move, and when we move our legs, temporarily goes away, but then it can, it can come back. So that, that creepy crawly sensation will make it difficult to fall asleep. It's also accompanied by uh, movement disorders during sleep as well. So sometimes people wake up in the middle of the night and have to move around or walk around just to feel comfortable. What, how is that testing done? I mean, you have, you have a camera on the patient too as well? No, we don't really need to do a sleep study to diagnose restless leg syndrome. It's a clinical diagnosis. We rule out other things like maybe diabetic neuropathy or some sort of leg uh, uh, radiculopathy in the back. Um, but it's a fairly easily, easy diagnosis, and it's readily treatable. Well, that's good to know. Some people, there are home remedies that we've heard on the show before. Yep, yep, I've heard those home Not remedies. Not necessarily gin and tonic, but tonic. <laughs> well, you know, that's a good question. So tonic uh, has a chemical called quinine, and quinine is useful for people that have noct- nocturnal leg cramps. Now, leg cramps are as charley horses where the muscles oh, yeah. are. So this is not restless legs. Or nocturnal leg cramps or charley horses are not restless legs. Restless legs are sort of, sort of a sensory component, and it's difficult to describe, but people that have it are... You know, it can be bad for people. Sure. Mm-hmm. All right, let's go back to the phones. Folks have been waiting. Jim in North St. Paul is first up here. Jim, the doctor's listening. Yes, I was diagnosed with uh, sleep apnea a few, several years ago. I had the type that where I stopped breathing, and I was given an antique machine, but I could hold my breath, and it would shift into high gear. And about a few years ago, then I traded that in on a new machine, but I can't hold my breath long enough to make that shift into high gear to the higher pressure. And I asked the doctor about this. I went and saw another sleep doctor, and he said, oh, it'll, the machine can tell if you're sleeping and not just holding your breath. I think he was trying to rush me out of his office <laughs> because I was asking too many questions. But my question is, is this a BiPAP machine, and sh- shouldn't I have one if I have the type where I stop breathing. Now that's different, isn't it? Yeah, so typically we treat sleep disorder breathing with a a machine called a CPAP machine. And that C stands for continuous positive airway pressure. And what that does is it blows a gentle stream of air through the airway just to keep that airway open. It isn't breathing for you. Now a BiPAP is very different. And BiPAP will push air into the lungs to inflate the lungs and and also keep the airway open. But when we do use BiPAP to, to treat sleep disorder breathing or sleep apnea. Um, but, you know, I'm not sure whether the machine was functioning appropriately or not. There are some machines that if we can't find the right pressure on a sleep study, we'll give patients what we call an automatic titrating machine or an APAP. And that machine is smart enough to try and find the pressure in the middle of the night to keep the airway open. 
Um, so you don't really need to do a whole lot of work. All you need to do is get into bed, put the mask on, turn the machine on, and it should do its work. And I, as I mentioned to you off the air a bit ago, uh, I know some friends of mine, guys, was I can't use that mask. It's so uncomfortable. I thought, well, find a comfortable mask. I did that over the years. I stick with the same one, and it works perfectly. That's that's exactly right. It's a matter of uh, testing out different types of masks, nasal masks or masks that sit on the nostrils, sometimes facial masks as well. Um, but like I said earlier, CPAP is not the only way to treat sleep apnea. There might be um, other ways of doing that. We might be able to position patients in certain ways that um, uh, avoid uh, the sleep disorder breathing. Sometimes people have sleep apnea only on their back. And so we can remedy that by having them sleep on their side using different types of devices. So there are different types of ways that we can treat the, the sleep disorder breathing. Uh, I think Dave in Maple Grove has a mask uh, comment. Go ahead, Dave. Yeah, I've had uh, CPAP for, oh, I think over 30 years. And I had a terrible time adjusting to those nasal uh, just over the nose because I get uh, stuffed up. But when they came out with a full face, that was the greatest thing in the world to me. And I can I have difficulty falling asleep without my CPAP machine. It just, I'm so used to it. I've, you've heard that comment before, I love you? when people say yeah. that it's the greatest thing and that they can't fall asleep because for some people, this is a, it's a lifesaver. So I'm, you know, Dave's a good example of one mask doesn't work. Let's try different masks. So yeah. uh, that worked for him. Uh, you mentioned this just a, a couple of seconds ago, but here's a text that says, does having a sleep test done and treatment options differ for people who sleep on their stomachs compared to people who sleep on their backs? So this is exactly why we do sleep studies. So we typically want patients to sleep on their back for some portion of the night because sleep apnea tends to be worse when people sleep on their back because their tongues relax and it falls back and closes the airway. But if people do sleep on their stomach, and we we can see that, we can see them do that on their sleep study, and we might see that their sleep apnea is, uh, is much less severe, which is why... After the sleep study, we might recommend something called positional therapy where we avoid having the patient sleep on their back and sleep on their sides, for example. When would you think, and I know we have to break here in a minute or so, uh, that a person should call uh, the sleep center uh, or maybe the significant other? You better get in there and get a sleep study. At what point, what, what things are triggers the people that call you guys? loud, disruptive snoring. If a patient wakes themselves up from their snoring or what we call snort arousal, uh, if someone tells them that they're gasping or choking, if they're feeling like their sleep is not refreshing or they're sleepy during the daytime, it's a good reason to at least talk to their primary care physician and say, hey, this is, there's something going on, especially if they have other conditions like blood pressure problems or, or diabetes. In fact, 70% of people that have type 2 diabetes has sleep apnea. 30 to 40% of people that have high blood pressure also have sleep apnea. That's a huge percentage. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, Ed in Plymouth, we're going to get Ed on here before we uh, take a break. Ed, what is your comment, please? Uh, Yes, a number of years ago, I was uh, having a problem with severe fatigue, and my doctor had sent me for a sleep study. Uh, But the results of the sleep study was I had some minor uh, irregularities during the night and even in the day because they continued the study into the next day. And that they said, but there was nothing serious in regards to that. So first question is, you know, how often is 
severe fatigue related to sleep disorders. And secondly, after, and my doctor had nothing more to offer me. And then I heard about the nutrient CoQ10. And I took that and my fatigue was gone in under a week. And I have not had it recur since. Do you have any comments on that? That's fantastic. I'm glad you found something that was helpful for you. Fatigue is very different than sleepiness. We can test for sleepiness doing a sleep study and what we call a a nap study during the daytime. And that's a pretty good test to differentiate whether someone is sleepy or if they're fatigued. Um, And so the test that he might have had, which was unequivocal, was just sort of nondescriptive, um, probably suggested that this was not a sleep disorder or a sleepiness issue and more of a fatigue concern. I know we have to break here. Is there a, is there a, uh, everybody's different, certainly, but is there a, an hour? How many hours should one sleep? Well, you know, when we look at people and have them stop working for weeks on end, the brain usually requires about seven to eight hours of sleep. Oh, that's typical. That's what we want people to get. Yep. All right. We're going to come back. We have more phone calls and text messages. We're talking about uh, sleep issues here on uh, Healthy Matters. Again, if you think you or someone you love might need some help, uh, this is a great place to visit. Head up in healthcare.org slash sleep. If you want to schedule a consultation or an appointment, 612-873-6963. We'll mention that number, too, before the uh, show is over. 71 degrees here on CCO. We'll be right back. And good morning. Welcome back to Healthy Matters. Again, Dr. David Hilden will be back one week from today for just joining us. Interesting show. Dr. Renji Varghese is board-certified sleep medicine and psychiatry. He is the medical director of the Minnesota Regional Sleep Disorder Center at Hennepin Healthcare. And just before we went on, you started mentioning something really interesting. Maybe you could share it with, uh, with the uh, listeners as well. Yeah, so uh, we were talking about REM sleep behavior disorder, and that's a condition that uh, affects us when we're in REM sleep. Uh, and it's a what we call a non-REM parasomnia. Parasomnia... Uh, is a fancy way of saying doing stuff while we are still asleep. <laughs> so examples include sleep talking or sleepwalking. Some people even walk downstairs and prepare a meal while they're still asleep. And they just, some have driven. People have driven while yeah. they're asleep as well. So it's really fascinating. What it tells us is the brain, it's not going offline to any when we're falling asleep. There's some processing that occurs. The brain isn't, a, the sleep is not a whole, you know, brain global phenomenon. Uh, they're sort of mixtures of wake and sleep as we're actually uh, asleep. And so, you know, parasomnia is one of this. Is, this is a condition that was really well researched and studied here at HCMC. And we're collaborating with the University of Wisconsin. And uh, uh, we're, we're doing a new type of study called high-density EEG, where we are looking at patients' brain rhythms and an extensive brain montage to see what happens exactly when patients do these unusual behaviors when they sleep, sleep talking or sleep walking. Um, and we are, if people are out there and they, they know that they sleep talk or sleep walk or they know people that might do this and are interested in, in, in being evaluated for this, let us know and we'll, we're happy to kind of facilitate that. Through that same phone number? Absolutely. All right, and that is 612-873-6963 or 612-873-MYMD if that's uh, easier for you to remember. That's interesting. All right, let's see. Susan in Minneapolis has a question for you, doctor. Go ahead, Susan. Good morning. I'm wondering if this is hereditary. Hereditary. Uh, my mother had it, I have it, and now my son has it. Can't fall asleep, can't stay asleep. 
I have absolutely no caffeine, no decaf coffee, no decaf tea, absolutely no chocolate. Um, brain's racing all the time. I count sheep. Um, Christmas carols are in my mind. Um, I have a dark room. I don't snore. I have a fan going. I wear earplugs. I take melatonin D. Um, what's the next step? <laughs> That's a great question. This sounds like insomnia, difficulty getting to sleep and staying asleep. And a lot of people do have family members that are afflicted, afflicted by this as well. Like I mentioned, 40 million people in the United States has insomnia. Um, and she's doing exactly what she needs to do, which is keeping a good sleep environment, dark room, um, but sometimes it could be, like I said, movement disorder preventing her from getting to sleep. Sometimes we might be getting to sleep when our brain is not ready to fall asleep. So if we're night owls, this is an example of how insomnia might develop. If we're night owls, if our brains are naturally um, wired to fall asleep by, say, midnight, and we try and get to bed by 10 p.m., we're not going to fall asleep. And what happens, we'll just lay in bed, tossing and turning, looking at the clock, staying frustrated. But there may be something more here, and um, if this is a condition that's persisting, especially for more than three months, that's time to go see a doctor. And I can't get any specifics as to what might be going on with her particular condition, but it sounds like she's done what she needs to, and it's time to see a sleep doctor. Interesting text. Uh, we have a couple of minutes to go, doctor. Is there a correlation, texter says, between the amount of oversleeping and degree of depression? 60 milligrams of Prozac does not seem to help. Uh, not necessarily. Oversleeping is sort of a relative thing. But if if what you were having is, let's say, eight hours of sleep on a regular day and now you're starting to require more than that, sometimes medications can be a contribution of the oversleeping. It could be a, a, a sign of a depressive disorder. It could be a sign that other conditions during sleep are disrupting sleep and you require more sleep. So it's, it's, it's hard to know without doing any further testing. Sure. Mm-hmm. Well, here's uh, a text that just came in. Uh, I got my CPAP about three years ago, and it has been even nap without it. My lifesaver. <laughs> so there's a positive vote for a CPAP. Yeah, absolutely. No, this is, this is literally a lifesaver for a really lot of people. Uh, I can't stress that enough. Again, treating underlying sleep disorder breathing, especially if it's severe, significantly reduces the risk for stroke, heart attack, and other major problems. Doctor, thanks for coming in. It was great to see you. We could probably do about three more hours for sure on this. <laughs> Love to. Happy oh. to be here. Thank you so much. 40 years. Check it out. If uh, you want to schedule a consultation or appointment, 612-873-6963. That's uh, 612-873-6963. Dr. Hilden will return next week. We're going to be talking, among other things, The topic, uh, autoimmune diseases. That'll be next week here on the show. Partly cloudy skies. Current temperature reading in the Twin Cities, 71 degrees. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.